Are you ready for the word? I'm ready to take us into the word, man. And that, that video really, really ties in because we're dealing with the prodigal son and, um, you really need to understand the importance of what he did and what he recovered from. So let's dive in. Get your Bible up nice and high. Let's go. They're going to start my clock for me, and we're going to roll. Repeat after me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have, and I can be what it says I can be. Holy Spirit. As the teacher is teaching, hide him in a gift that I might experience revelation, impartation, destiny acceleration, and manifestation in my life. In Jesus' name, shout amen. You know where we're going. Go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, the New Living Translation, starting at verse 18, Paul says this. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what's good but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but what does he say? I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. And that's critical. He says, this battle is happening in my mind. He goes on to say, this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. This is the foundational text for this teaching we've been in entitled, Me versus me, the winning the war within. And Paul makes this statement. He says, Paul says, man, I realize there's this battle of self-sabotage going on on the inside in my mind. And that's important for you to know where this battle is. It's in my mind. And when we say self-sabotage, we gave you a very specific definition. Let's go back to that. Self-sabotage is really the self-destructive decision-making process where a person's being influenced by their flesh to make choices that are against their own best interests and well-being. It's a reinforcement that your flesh is the root of self-sabotage. And one of the things we've been telling you is that the flesh is not your skin. But according to Romans 8, your flesh is a way of thinking that goes against God and his word. And that if you're going to go from self-sabotage to success, you have to change how you think. Romans 12 talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You got to understand, you do not overcome fleshy stuff. You do not overcome defeat without changing how you think. So if there's any part of you, any action that doesn't line up with the word of God, instead of mainly just saying, I'm going to try not to do that, you have have to renew your mind in the word because as you renew your mind that's when transformation will happen now one of the things we dealt with on Sunday is understanding that even though you might have self-sabotaged yourself in this season you've you've done some things that self-sabotage you derailed you you got to remember and understand that recovery is possible. You can recover from a self-sabotaging situation. There's hope beyond the mess that you've made. And so go to Luke chapter 15. We started looking at Luke on Sunday because Luke 15 is all about the prodigal son. That's why we showed you the video in the life moment. The prodigal son is the poster child of self-sabotage. Of self-sabotaging yourself, he is the poster child, but he's also the poster child of recovery is possible. So Luke 15, let's go there. Starting at verse 11, the Passion Translation. Then Jesus said, 
Once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me my share of your estate? So the father went ahead and distributed between the two sons their inheritance. So this young man says, you're taking too long, Dad, to die. I want my inheritance now. And so the father gives it to him. It goes on to say, shortly after, the younger son packed up all his belongings, traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant, reckless living. Would you shout on your house, your house, self-sabotage? Self-sabotage. Goes on to say, so he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him, sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished, he was willing even to eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. I, I told you on Sunday that this gentleman, this young man had really fallen because for him to even be around pigs as a Jewish boy, let alone willing to touch and eat the slop they were eating, shows how hungry he was and how far he had fallen. He goes on to say, humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house and I'll say to him, father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never again be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the young man set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. The father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted and said, son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I'll place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I'll put it on his finger. Bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate, for my beloved son was once dead, but now he's alive. Once he was lost, but now he's found, and everyone celebrated with overflowing Joy, Man, this scripture, it reinforces this story that you might have sabotaged yourself, but you can recover from self-sabotaging decisions. Now, what we got into on Sunday, the main focus and emphasis was self-sabotaging recovery lessons from the prodigal son. Because all throughout this story, even though he sabotaged himself, there are these recovery lessons that we can extract out of the text concerning the prodigal son. And one of the things I believe I said on Sunday is doing this really can help a person who's made a mess of their life in the moment come up with a plan of action to recover from a bad situation because God wants you to recover more than you want to recover because God says if you will recover, I can use your testimony to inspire others that recovery is possible. So let's review the first few that we covered on Sunday. Number one, we told you on Sunday, the prodigal son, he came to himself. He was honest with himself about his fallen state and realized the error of his poor rebellious choice he made, meaning the choice to leave too soon. He got to a place where he said, I messed up. I made a mess of this. He took ownership of it. And I said on Sunday, man, you get, when you, when you start owning up to what you've done, that's a sign of maturity. When you go from blaming other people for your actions to go, it was me. Wasn't my brother, my mother, whoever. It's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So he came to himself. Number two, he said to himself, 
He had a conversation with himself and expressed his conviction to repent and change. And, you know, we said on Sunday, man, every now and then you got to have a conversation about yourself, you know, concerning yourself. You got to be able to identify where you are because you can't change if you don't know where you are. So you got to have a conversation with yourself about yourself and go, hey, hey, you need to change. Here's the third thing we gave you on Sunday. He settled himself. He was realistic and understood the possible discomfort of the recovery process, and he was willing to persevere through it because he understood it was necessary to change. His mentality was, I don't know if my father's going to receive me. I don't know if anybody wants to see me after the mess I've made, but he said, I'm not going to let that stop me from trying. In other words, you cannot allow others who might not be happy about what you're trying to do. They might not believe that you're serious about changing. You can't allow their lack of belief to cause you to not believe you can get up and recover. And then the last one we covered on Sunday, he presented himself. The prodigal son did more than just think about recovery. He followed through concerning his repentance with a face-to-face -face meeting with his father. In other words, he didn't just talk about it. He was about it. It's not enough to go, all right, I'm going to get up and do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. At some point, you got to get up and do what you say. Because one of the things we said is nothing of significance happens until you get up and take action. Talk is cheap, plays a part, but you got to get up and take action. Well, I want to continue because I got a few more I want you to look at tonight. So let's go to the next one. The next one is he humbled himself. He humbled himself. I have in your notes, he positioned himself under protective authority, which gave him the right to set the steps of restoration and recovery. The young man said, if I have to be a servant and sleep in servant quarters, if my father makes me do that, if that's what he tells me I need to do, that's what I'm going to do. When you have sabotaged your life, man, you got to humble yourself and be willing to follow directions that are given to help you recover. When you've humbled yourself, you can't be your own authority. You need somebody else to help you and give you wisdom of what you need to think about doing, and you need to humble yourself to that. Recovery is possible as long as you get out the way. Recovery is possible as long as you don't think, well, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. The prodigal son said, no, 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 no. I messed up against my father, so I'm going to allow my father to dictate the recovery process, and he was willing to submit to that process. Ooh, that's good. I hope you get that, man. Here's the next one. Not only did he humble himself, he trusted the process. He trusted the process. He trusted the love of his father. When he was coming back, man, the Bible says the father saw him a long way off, from a long distance and started running towards him. That means his dad, every day while he was gone, came out on the porch looking to see if my son was coming home. He wasn't focused on what his son did. He was like, is my son coming home? Imagine the talks he had with God. Imagine the talks he had with himself. Is this the day I'm going to see my son? And it says he saw him a long way off. Hear me, when you're coming out of a difficult situation, when you're coming out of a self-sabotaging situation, you have to be willing to trust in the love of your heavenly father. Your heavenly father loves you more than you know, and you have to be willing to trust in that love that he has for you to help you recover and you have to be willing to trust people he puts in the path to help you recover. 
Because God will send people to help you. That's why the Bible is clear. God says, I give you shepherds after my heart that will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Every sheep needs a shepherd. Pastor Aisha and I have a shepherd. We have pastors. And when you turn around, and you've messed up, God will cross your path with people that he has sent to help you recover, and you got to trust that process. When you know somebody is a godsend, you got to trust the love of your father and look at them and go, this is a tangible touch of God's love for me to help me recover. So he humbled himself. He trusted the process. Here's the next one I want you to get. He experienced the comeback power of restoration. Man, I wish y'all were in here. I wish y'all were in here for me to deal with this in person with you. The father accepted him and restored him back to the family. Ooh, this gentleman said, I don't know if it's going to work out. But he said, I'm still, I'm going to go find out. And the father accepts him back into the family. But I want to flip it. I want to flip it for a second. And that is, you might mess up and you might have messed up on people. Maybe you messed up on your family. And even if you trying to recover doesn't turn out all positive and cute like the text we read with the prodigal son, you have to know that your repentance commitment to re the recovery process doesn't go in vain. You have to know that, hear me, even if people turn their back on you, even if people don't want to receive you, even if people want nothing to do with you, you got to know that your repentance and your commitment to the recovery process. Let me back up. What is repentance? Repentance is not snotting and crying. Repentance is the word metanoia. It means change your thinking. Repentance is not a 360-degree turn. It's a 180. I turn from and turn to. And even if you've truly repented, man, you truly are trying now to change what you've done, even if folks don't receive you, it's not all cute and cuddly like the prodigal son. You got to know that your commitment to repent. Your commitment to the recovery, I'm talking to somebody, your commitment to the recovery process doesn't go in vain because I want to give you a statement that reflects God's heart on this, that even if nobody wants anything to do with you, man, they won't give you another chance. I want you to know what tonight prophetically what your heavenly father is saying to you in this moment. I'm I might not be talking to everybody, but I'm talking to somebody tonight. What is God telling me to tell you? Bring up this statement. Get this. If you, if you run a righteous course long term, God will erase the memory of your bad choices and misbehavior, your disobedience from the minds of those you have offended and those you know, and he will rewrite your resume. God, Jesus, I'm going to read it again. If you determine you're going to run a righteous course long term from here on out, God will erase the memory of your bad choices and misbehavior, your disobedience from the minds of those you have offended and those you know, and he will rewrite your resume. In other words, hear me. God says, if nobody's willing to give you a second chance, I already have. And God says, I'll vindicate you in front of folks who discard you. You. People want to go, I'm done with you. People want to go, I want nothing to do with you. God says, no problem. I will vindicate you in front of people that don't want to walk in love. I'll vindicate you in front of people that don't want to give you another chance. Because God didn't just give me another chance. He's the God of the second, the third, the eighth, the twelfth, the fifteen thousand chance. And sometimes 
the people who God has given a second chance again and again and again, they get spiritual amnesia and they don't want to give somebody else another chance. But God says, no problem. If they won't help you, I'll help you and I'll vindicate you. And I don't vindicate you by hurting other people. I vindicate you by elevating you up and reinforcing my presence is with you in the sight of your accusers. I'll keep them around long enough to see and they can't deny what they see that I didn't leave you. They left you, but I didn't leave you. I'm with you because Romans 8 says something. I'm going to end on this that you need to get. If Hear me. If you made a mess of your life, if you made a mess of your life and nobody, and you're trying to change, you're trying to recover, and nobody wants to give you a second chance, I need you to get Romans 8 down in your mind because God wants you to know this. Romans 8, let's hit it. Verse 37, the Passion Translation. Yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over all of them. For God has made us to be more than conquerors, and his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence. Oh, you got to get your confidence back. I live with the confidence. What's my confidence, Bishop? Look at what the word says. That there's nothing, absolutely nothing in the universe with the power to separate me from God's love. I'm convinced. You got to get convinced of what? His love will triumph over death. Life's troubles, fallen angels, dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in the present, the future circumstance that can weaken his love towards me. There is no power above us or beneath us. No power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. God says, I love you more than you'll ever know. I love you to the point I bankrupt heaven with the precious Lord Jesus to lay his life down for you. And even if others reject you, even if others have turned their back on you, even if others have walked away, God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. There's nothing that can separate you from my love. I love you. And if God loves you, that's all the love you need. If God has you, that's all the having that you need. Hear me. There's an old school song, man, that's tied to this. And this old saints of old, when some of them still sing it, man, you know, the hymnals, you can't throw them all away. No, 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 no. Some hymnals, man, when you're young, you don't know what they mean. But when you get older, those hymnals mean something. When you get older, you start remembering the hymnals that were sung when you were younger and life has a way of hitting you and the hymnals mean something. There's a song, old school song that says, love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, drugs couldn't help, people couldn't help, possessions couldn't help, job couldn't help, money couldn't help, because none of them could fill that void on the inside. But love lifted me when I was in the muck. Love lifted me when I was in the mire. Love lifted me when I was cast down. Love lifted me when I was cast out. Love lifted me. You might be cast down. People might have turned their back, but hear me. Love lifted me when nothing else could help, the song says. Love lifted me. Child of God, God loved you. You messed up, but God still loved you. You sabotaged your life, but God still loves you. He'll never stop loving you. And the same love 
that raised Jesus from the dead. The same love that caused God to send Jesus to you in the first place. The same love that's caused God to never leave you nor forsake you. is the same love that's with you in this moment and says, son, daughter, I'll never leave you. I'm cheering you on. Let's get up. Let's move forward and let's become all that I've called you to be. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. I'm out of time, y'all. I got to get out of here tonight. This was good. You know, if we were in here, today, if we were in here, Gary would be on the, on the Hammond. Minister Vincent would be one of me on the Hammond, and we would be just having a great time honoring the Lord. So why don't you do that in your house real quick? Lift your hands and tell God, thank you for loving me. Lift your hands in the gym. Thank you for loving me. You might be cooking in the kitchen. Stir with one, hold the other one up and go, thank you for loving me because I know that love will never leave me nor forsake me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. I'm out of time, y'all. Amen and amen and amen. Woo! Oh, throw the hands up. Come on, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. You wait till Sunday, man, because Sunday... Pastor Aisha, the Sunday, 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 we're going to start dealing with self-actualization. We start actualizing the best version of you. Man, I can't wait to give you some stuff. We're going to go from self-sabotage to self-actualization. We're going to begin to now go, okay, I might have messed up, but now what's the best version of me that God has called me to be? I can't wait to share with you on Sunday. Make sure you're in church. The stream might not work. Make sure you're in church. Amen and amen. Well, listen, real quick. If you're watching me, man, you're not born again, I'm talking to you right now. I was talking to everybody, but now I'm talking to you. If you're not born again, what's that mean? You've never received Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you never heard of that, that God so loved you, he sent his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come down to this planet and take your place and take your sin, because we're all born in sin, and give you his righteousness. And when you receive Jesus dying for you. When you receive his free gifts of salvation and righteousness, you become the righteousness of God. And so tonight, man, this moment, even if you're watching this after we're off the air live, this is an opportunity for you to simply receive the greatest gift that anybody could ever give you, and that is the gift of salvation and righteousness. Now, maybe you're a backslider. You were living for God, but something happened. You walked away, and you've been away from God, and you didn't know how to get back. You get back the same way you left. You made a decision to leave. You just decided to come back. God is represented by the prodigal son's father who stands on the porch of your life when you left and he's been just waiting for you to come home. Why don't you come home tonight? Why don't you come back to him tonight? Why don't you come into the kingdom tonight? So I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to receive Jesus as your savior, you want to rededicate your life, you say this prayer after us. Who's us? Me and hundreds. I'm looking at our numbers. Hundreds of people are saying the same prayer. You can't hear them. But trust me, they're saying this same prayer because they're in agreement with you. Repeat this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, today I give you my life and I receive your free gifts of salvation and righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, shedding your blood for me, going to hell for me, rising again all for me. Today, of my own free will, I receive you and I thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. amen. Listen, if you receive Jesus as your savior or you rededicated your life, let me say welcome home, family. Welcome, welcome, welcome into the kingdom of God. Facebook, YouTube, make some noise, virtual family. Put something in the chat as we celebrate people getting born again or rededicating tonight. Now, if you did that, you gave your heart to Jesus, you rededicated your life, I need you to do something for me either right now with your phone or if you're watching me 
on your phone. As soon as we go off the air, I need you to text Got God to 779 or 54244. My bad. Got God to 54244. Why do we want you to do that? Because when you do that, we're going to send you an electronic form that's entitled Made a Decision. If you'll fill it out, send it right back. Pastor Aisha and I are going to send you a video from us to you talking about what do you do now that you're born again? What do you do now that you rededicated your life? So would you do that? Text God, God to 54244 right now because we would love, 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 love to connect with you. Again, make some noise, family, for people getting saved, people coming back into the kingdom of God. Amen and amen and amen.